According to the Googles, a nifty way to start a podcast episode is to bring in some clips from later on to stir up some engagement and excitement. So here's a world-renowned psychologist saying the word optimal. Optimal. And here's another one saying effective learning strategies. Effective learning strategy. I'm Trevor. I'm Alex. Welcome to the Learner Lab podcast presented by trainugly.com. Each week, something new that can help us learn. Let's go. Alex. Yes, Trevor. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about the science of how to get more from our practice. Love it. Very relevant topic. And when we say practice, we just mean like the learning process. That's studying people practice in the workplace. It kind of has this connotation with sports, but it's really any skill involves practice. So we're getting, becoming more efficient at learning the skills. The cool thing is we had the opportunity to learn from two of the experts. Mm -hmm. I'm Elizabeth Bjork. I'm a professor in the Department of Psychology. I study learning and memory and how to optimize learning and memory. And I'm Robert Bjork. I'm also a professor of psychology at UCLA. In particular, I'm interested in differences between how people learn versus how they think they learn. The heavy hitters. Heavy hitters. Coolest couple in the learning industry. Not even close. Um, So we're going to incorporate their research and, and weave it through today's conversation. The truth is there's a big gap between what we think to be effective learning strategies and right. what actually are effective learning strategies. Right. Um, and too, too often this deals with learning versus performance, right? Exactly. It's like we don't understand that those are kind of two different things. Performance is what you can observe and measure. Learning can only be sort of measured at a delay. How well does knowledge it retained or how well does it transfer to a situation where it's relevant performance is like what are we seeing now mm-hmm. and learning is what's sticking okay the distinction is really an important one that current performance can not only be an imperfect guide to whether learning's happened it can be exactly misleading these strategies that really um support current performance, they're very seductive. They make the student feel, I'm learning. This is easy. I'm getting it. And yet, uh, that's not always the case. On the converse side, conditions that appear to induce challenges, appear to be slowing the rate of learning, can then enhance long-term retention and transfer. The big idea here is they kind of are opposing forces. So it's kind of like you got to choose one or the other if you want yeah, to. Yeah, it's kind of like we have to be clear on our goals. Uh-huh. And I hope the goal with the people listening, it's like we want the learning. When our practice is easy, we sort of like slip into autopilot. Mm-hmm. Autopilot is what we're trying to avoid. Right. So what the Bjorks say is it's about building what they call desirable difficulties into practice mm-hmm. That can help us avoid slipping into autopilot so we get more from the session. Yeah, over 20 years ago now, I once labeled these effective things as desirable difficulties. Creating difficulties, slowing the rate of learning if you're looking at current performance. But then they enhance learning on the long term. That's the sense in which they're desirable. To put it into Learner Lab language, it's 
what are the ways we can avoid getting into autopilot? Right. Like that's I the like way that. I see it. Here's how I think about desirable difficulties. Okay. I could go to the weight room and do all of these exercises with no weight. And you could do the same exercises with weight. Uh-huh. Who's going to get more from the workout? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it's me. <laughs> Definitely you. The resistance and struggle created by the weight is going to lead to more growth and development. These desirable difficulties induce a bit of struggle, and the struggle helps us remember more. Like That activates our brain in a different way than if there's no struggle at all. So it's not always about just the sheer amount of reps. It's more of the quality of the reps, right. and that's what desirable difficulties do. They help us get like more from the reps that we're doing. Let's do reps with some weight. Here's a game plan. We're going to talk about two ideas that the Bjorks have outlined in their research. Mm-hmm. And those are spacing and variation. Right. Those are kind of the big themes. Right. After that, we're going to get into some like quick hitting, maybe smaller adjustments we could make uh-huh. that would lead to more learning and retention as well. So right. lots of good tools and takeaways. Let's jump into spacing. Okay. What does this mean? One of the big ideas with spacing is allowing your brain to forget certain things. So think Wait, about it. what? Yeah. We're trying to forget? Ex- yeah. In order exactly. to learn. In order to learn more, we need to forget a little bit. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Think about if you had just read a chapter of a book, right? Yeah. It's a textbook for your class. You read through it and then you realize your brain was on autopilot. You didn't recognize what was happening. Sure. Uh, you could just go right back into it and reread it again. So there's no spacing there. No spacing there. And when you go through it again, everything's going to seem sort of familiar. It seems like you've already seen it. You're even more on autopilot. Yeah, you're like, like, okay, cool, I know this, I've seen it. But in reality, what you should do is wait a little bit. Give it some time, maybe wait a couple of hours, go outside, do something else, and come back to it. Sure. Your brain has forgotten some of that. It's not as exposed to those ideas. And the Bjorks echo this. Research for more than 100 years shows that if you, in fact, go on to other things and come back and read it again, then that produces substantially better long-term learning. Let a little forgetting take place before you go back. Okay, uh, how does this play out? Good example, in basketball, most common way we practice free throws, it's like, shoot 50 free throws at the end of practice. Like, everyone does that. There's quite a few NBA teams now because there's a ton of research around this that instead of shooting 50 at the end, Mm -hmm. they disperse the 50 throughout practice in bunches of two or three that's a great idea okay so let's think of the upsides of that one Mm -hmm. it's kind of more like a game right because you're not going to get never more than three yeah yeah it's like the refs on like here bro you get your 35 practice runs (laughs) and then the two that matter it's like no you get two right so it's kind of more like a game Mm -hmm. and when we're spacing think about autopilot we're less likely to slip in like 50 straight, of course, I'm going to go rinse and repeat. I'm in autopilot. After the fifth shot, you're probably locked in. But when they're dispersed, it's a little more difficult, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to slip into autopilot just by the way that the reps are dispersed. Now, that brings us back to learning and performance. Mm -hmm. This is the tough part. It's if you shoot 50 in a row, you're going to make more than if you disperse the 50 throughout. We're going to look worse when we do it properly than when we do the non-optimal right. and, and that's a tough pill to swallow, <laughs> yeah. right? Like that's perhaps the big reason that maybe this stuff isn't as applied as much as it should be. Right. We're kind of going against what we think to be good versus what is good. Mm-hmm. So spacing essentially interrupts that autopilot part of your yes. brain, right? And, and it's an easy solution. 
Another one of the Bjork's effective learning strategies is called interleaving, which is essentially just introducing variation into your practice. So that's sure. changing little aspects of the practice to keep your brain alert. Right, and keep forcing it, it to do like something else. Yeah, so it doesn't drift into autopilot. Right. And Dr. Bjork says this, right? If instead of you doing that sort of block practice, you do the same number of practice trials, but interleave randomly, you will look like you're not making as much progress, but you'll make much better long-term progress. I have an example of this that sort of upset my sister, but it's it's useful for, for everyone else, I think. Proceed. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so my sister was studying for a test using Quizlet as college kids do these days. Quizlet? Quizlet? What is that? It's 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 an app, you know? One of those things you got on your phone, a flashcard ah, app. Back in the day, we used those three by fives, oh, baby. Yeah. Old school. Those, those work too. This the is an example of work for both, Okay, right? so it's like a... It's a, it's a flashcard app, right? Okay, okay. Okay, so... She's going through, she wants me to quiz her on these flashcards, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're going through the topics and she has them organized as the book chapters were. So it's like chapter 9, 10, 11, and 12. And we're going through it and I hit the shuffle button, which puts them in a random order. Mm. And I start quizzing her and she goes, wait, that's not the next card. (laughs) Like, damn right it's not the next card. (laughs) I shuffled it. And she's like, no, that doesn't work that way. I'm like, yeah, that's the only way you're going to learn it. The the questions on the test aren't going to be in this order. Yeah, they're not going to be in this Ah. order. They're random, right? Perfect example. You varied the the order. Right. Before you did that, she was in autopilot, which is what happens when we do flashcards. No spacing, and I know what's coming next. So it's like like, after photosynthesis comes osmosis. (laughs) Yeah, right. So perfect example as well. It doesn't really feel good to practice properly. Right. It doesn't really necessarily look better either. Like, she's going to miss more this Yeah, as we go through the shuffled ones, she's going to miss a lot of them. 100%. But it's actually helping her better retain that material in the long run. More retention, and it's more like the actual test. Mm -hmm. Putting in golf, great example. Like, hit 50 putts from the same spot. If we simply scattered those balls out and hit 50 different putts, it's way better. Right. 50 from one spot, autopilot to the max. I'm getting a lot of reps, but I'm not really having to trigger that program each time. Right. If I just scatter them. Still 50 reps, which is what we need to practice and mm-hmm. get better. But the quality of reps are better. Every time I'm, I'm forced out of autopilot because my brain is forced to make a new read right. and a new plan. And then I execute the putt. You're forced to actively engage with each individual. 100%. Yeah. This wasted four years of my life not knowing this. Four years? Four. Whoa. Quick story. I... Started on the varsity basketball team when I was in ninth grade. Okay. I'm not trying deal. to flex again. It was like, I'm from Wyoming and we didn't have enough people. Uh-huh, sure. <laughs> um, I was kind of known as a good three-point shooter. My first year, ninth grade, I shot 40% from three. That's Damn. pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. And I shot a lot. So big sample size. That off-season, my high school purchased this shooting machine. It's called the gun. It's uh-huh. like a big net. You hook it up to the hoop, and it catches, like, your misses and throws them back to you. So you can get, like, a ridiculous amount of reps in a short amount of time. Right. It counts your makes and misses. I lived on that thing for the next four years of my life. When I first got it, I would shoot, like, 100 in a row, and I could make about 60 to 65 out of 100 from the same spot. After four years of, like, living on the shooting machine, I got to where I could make 90 out of 100 from Whoa. one spot. Like, really, really Yeah, that's good. crazy. Like, 
on the regular, I could hit 80, and on a good day, 90 uh-huh. out of the 100 from one spot. So, so did that translate to the, really good. To the game? Uh, that's the bad part. Guess what my shooting percentage was my senior year uh, from three. So it was 40%, so now maybe it's what, like 50%? 40 again. Oh, oh. <laughs> 40 again, and I attempted the same amount. So your boy was spending thousands of hours... And I saw great improvement in my performance. Right. It went from 60 to 90 and zero improvement in the actual learning of the skill. And I shot the same amount. Right. So, so if you were to redo it, do you think there are ways you could have improved that? 100%. I think the, the easy one is just introduce more variation. I could just like move in, move out to the left, to the right, take a dribble off the catch. It's like there's all sorts of ways to add that variation mm-hmm. within this drill where I am getting high reps. So it's not always about just like doing something entirely different. Right. It's like we can add that variation. Tweaking little things. Yeah, it's Bjork talks a lot about Tim Lee. Tim Lee, who's a motor skills researcher, and I were interviewed at a driving range that's near the Los Angeles airport. People there, they're creating conditions that won't, didn't introduce spacing, didn't introduce spacing, won't match the conditions on the golf course. All up and down the range, you could see people not varying the club, not varying the target, not stepping back, not, you know, so it's... It's in a lot of domains, our intuitions mislead us, our sort of common ways of doing things are not the moment. All right, so we just looked at spacing and interleaving. So let's touch on a couple other quick-hitting ways to improve and boost your retention. Yes. So one of these is what the Bjorks like to call study to teach. And the basic premise of this is just approaching material that you're learning as if you had to teach someone else about it. Right. So it's sort of in your mind, like framing it. I need to learn this material so I can explain it to someone else. Sure. There was a study that they did and they had um, two different groups. One group, they were going to learn the material and then be tested on it. The other Mm -hmm. group was told that they were going to have to teach someone Mm -hmm. in like 30 minutes. So Mm -hmm. read the chapter and then in 30 minutes, someone will come in and you'll have to teach them. Right. And then the person didn't show up. They they said the person didn't show up, but there was no person ever. Bjorks. Yeah. Um, but then they had to take the test. So both groups took the test. And then what we found was the people who prepared to teach this material to another student actually performed much better, significantly better, than the students who were studying it for themselves to take an exam. I had experience with this firsthand. So I took a supply chain class in mm. college. And I ended up TAing for the class. And the class was really difficult. So when I took the course, I got a B in it, which, you know, that's a fine grade. Um, Nerd. <laughs> it's true, though. And then I became the TA for the course later on. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is I had to relearn all of this material. Sure. But this time, I through was the lens. through the lens of a teacher, mm-hmm. right? I had to help other people learn this material. Right. I ended up started being able to retrieve this stuff a lot better because everything that I was reading through... Sure. I had to figure out how can I yeah. frame this in a way that helps someone else learn it. No and autopilot there. No autopilot. I got right. to be completely engaged. We get questions a lot from parents saying, but I don't know this material. How can I help my child with his or her homework? Well, you don't have to know. What you need to do is ask your child mm-hmm. to explain it to you. 
And in that process of trying to explain it to you, they'll be engaging in a very effective learning strategy. Another small adjustment that can really boost retention and learning is incorporating what they call pre-testing before we teach something new. Okay, how's that work? Uh, So best way to explain it is we've been doing this in our workshops. Uh Uh, We have a great session on fear and like how we should think about it and talk about it. And before we even begin... We give a pretest. We say, okay, take 30 seconds and go through this scenario. You're working with someone who's afraid to try something new. What would you tell them? It doesn't matter what they write down. Just, Just the as long fact as they that they something. wrote something down. When we get to that point of the actual presentation, mm-hmm. it's like 30 minutes in of what should we say? Everyone's leaning forward because what we're doing is comparing it against our first guess. So the pretest isn't to see what they know or don't know. It's just to like kind of like anchor this in. Right. And now I'm more engaged in, well, what is the answer? This is such an easy strategy for anyone that's teaching a concept to use. It's like, come up with a quick pretest before you explain it. That's it. Even if it's just a simple question. One question, one multiple choice, anything. Right. One fill in the blank. The pretest will lead to more engagement. Dr. Bjork gives an example of how students can apply these principles. And so one thing they can easily do is just give themselves a pretest. Just go, go to the back of the chapter and take that test, even though it may seem really silly to do so, and most of the time they'll be dead wrong on all the answers. That's going to prime them in a way to then uh, do some of these things as they read through they're going to be reminded of concepts, they're going to be reminded of incorrect answers that they picked, and they're going to say, okay, this is, now I see why that was the incorrect answer. So it's going to make them a more active consumer of that information in that chapter. Now look, there's like a spectrum on all of this. We're not just saying go vary everything so much that we can't handle it. Like, the goal is, we want sort of this retrieval process. We want it to involve some difficulty, but it needs to work as right. well. We want tension, but we don't want to be yes, defeated. exactly. And so like, even if we're teaching someone a skill right off the bat, we can introduce small variations to make it better. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be exactly the same all the time. And the same is true if we're teaching a group of people in the workplace and we're learning new technology, new software. It's like we can incorporate some spacing and variation that will lead to more difficulty but more retention. So to recap what we've talked about today, there are a lot of misconceptions with learning. And one of the big ones is learning versus performance. If our goal is to boost learning, we can do that by creating desirable difficulties. And some ways that we create desirable difficulties are by spacing our practice, introducing variation, studying to teach, and introducing pretests. We'd like to thank the Bjorks for helping us out so much. And honestly, they're the experts here. You can find a lot of their research in the book, Make It Stick. If you just Google desirable difficulties in Bjork, you're going to find a lot of research, a ton of studies, a lot of stuff that we just didn't have time to get into today. Jack will put links to all of this stuff. Also, I want to give a special shout out to Richard Schmidt. He like wrote the textbook of motor learning. Um, he passed away a few years ago, but I did had, have the honor of like hanging out with him and meeting him. I went to his house 
and went through a lot of this stuff. And so a lot of these principles that we talked about today are from his research. And so he is a legend, the Bjorks, legends. There's like a lot of incredible people in this field that have been doing this work for a long time. And now it's, I think, time to shine some light on that. And like, how about we start using some of this stuff? (laughs) That's the big idea here. And again, we can all do that. Jack is going to load up the questions. We're going to bang those out. You guys are the best. This has been fun. See you next week. Now it's time for the questions. Remember that you can call our question hotline at any time of the day, 24-7. It's there. 805-635-8459. Bang. Let's go. Hey, Trev, Alex. Um, I'm Sadie from Hartford, Connecticut. Right now I'm a special ed teacher. What I have a question about is how can I do my best to get into my kids' shoes? What I'm asking is how do I get into a kid's perspective who's gone through all this trauma when I've really, I've been lucky in life to where I haven't had to deal with trauma like that. Looking forward to hearing an answer or hearing from you guys uh, here in the next podcast. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you, Sadie, for the really fantastic and important question. Um, obviously, we're not the experts with stuff like this, but a few things I do know and maybe some tips. One is... No matter who we're working with, we're never going to entirely understand their situation. Like that's important. We can't have the same experiences of everyone we're around. And so that kind of sends us down the pathway of like building real empathy is not, I know how you feel. I think real empathy and being a real leader is, I don't know how you feel. And being very clear with that and upfront. And and being able to say that out loud, like, look, I can't even imagine the things you've gone through and experienced and how tough that might be to deal with. So I think it's like saying that out loud, putting that on the table and then working to build the relationship of like, I can't imagine what this is like, but when you're here in these walls, I'm on your team. And one thing I would highly recommend trying to avoid is like minimizing the pain or the challenge that they're going through. Like, oh, it's going to be okay. Like, we can't say that. Brene Brown talks about this a lot. It's like we want to avoid the word at least it Mm -hmm. could be worse or we want to like avoid like minimizing what the people are going through because if they're feeling pain, it is real. Right. And especially from the sounds of this question, it's like this is the real deal. So we can't minimize it. We can't say it's going to necessarily be better in a short amount of time, Mm -hmm. but it's I can't imagine how you're feeling when you're here. I'm on your team. Yeah, and you can do all of that without having gone through the exact experience that someone else has gone through. And anytime you want to talk, I'm here, and I'm here to listen, and I'm, there's nothing magic that I can say to you that's going to solve all these problems, but I'm on your team. That's where I would start. Elizabeth Gilbert has a great piece um, on her Facebook about this. I'm going to try to dig that up, and we'll have Jack put that in the links as well. That might help. Again, I don't think there's a magic formula. It's just finding ways to display real empathy and helping people know that you're on, you're on their team. Right. That's where I'd showing that you're there for them. Yeah. Next question. Hey, Trevor, it's Silas Cleveland from Lander. Just got a a question for you. I'm curious about, do you think Wyoming being in the Midwest and being as lowly populated as it is, is it harder to get benefits out of being an athlete in such a small state when there's so little competition? What kind of things can you do to get those higher levels of competition to prepare you for the next level? Because I feel like maybe a high schooler in Colorado might have a much better chance of 
having a better overall and well-rounded game than someone from Wyoming. So thanks, man. This one is tough. And I, I've thought a lot about this. Like, okay, growing up in a smaller community and then trying to make a big leap to play at a big school. Right. It's tough. Um, I think there's upsides and downsides. Downside is if you play in a smaller community like in Wyoming, even just like the Midwest, somewhere right. in there, they're everywhere. <laughs> it's like we cap out on finding people that are better than us to play against. And so we sort of peak when we're like ninth and 10th graders because that's when like we kind of hit our capacity of finding people that can push you to us. the next yeah. level. Yeah. And so like we get really good when we're young and then we kind of run out of people that can beat us. If you live in a bigger city, it's not hard to find people better than you to go play against because that helps a lot. And so that's the kind of challenge playing in a smaller place. Now, obviously ways around that are like we can travel, we can find better competition, maybe older people, mm -hmm. maybe there's a community college or even small college that you could go play against their players. So there's ways to get creative. Now, this isn't to say that it's all bad. I truly believe like playing sports in a smaller community is like a really special thing. Um, a lot of people from bigger cities, they don't know what it's like to have like the whole town in the stands, like everyone there. And like it's it's such a special like event for the community when there's a game and everyone shows out like that's pretty cool thing and even the connections within the state it's like especially in wyoming it's like everyone kind of knows everyone when you go to the state tournament you like make friends from different towns and it's connected in bigger states it's like the chances of you even making it to the state tournament slim to none you don't get that experience so it's like there's some special experiences you get playing in a smaller town now it might be harder to get that level of competition that's going to make you be like the best player you can be to make that leap. But I just think the value of it, the experience is pretty cool. So I'd appreciate that. And if you do have those big dreams, there's way there's ways to get creative, find good competition. You might have to do a little traveling, you think out of the box, but it can be done. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you on the next pod.